at last, King Jesus, you've come. We receive you and your light. We bless you as the one who has come and will come again. And so as we open your word today, as we continue to worship, would you quicken our hearts, make us attentive and available to you, that we might be like you, King Jesus, and that we might bend the knee and bow our hearts before you afresh today. At last, we pray in your name, King Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for coming out this morning. My name is Kathy Haug. Good morning, my name is Jose Carballo. And um, it is our privilege to continue to lead in worship and prayer this morning as part of our fourth week of Advent. Uh, we're in this series called Kneeling to Flourish in Love. And um, I don't know about you, but I felt like these weeks have been so rich um, as we've been together thinking afresh about um, turning our eyes out to see God's love for the world and remembering that as we await the return of Jesus and the fullness of the kingdom of God, it will come and the people of God from every nation and every language will raise their praise and prayers to God. And so we've gotten like a little taste of that in these weeks as we've been hearing the Lord's Prayer and we've been hearing our text for the week in various languages. So we've heard Dutch, um, we've prayed in Vietnamese, we've seen prayers communicated in sign language, um, and last week we heard and prayed and heard the text in Portuguese. So um, this morning, um, it's our privilege to continue in that tradition, and we'll be praying the Lord's Prayer and hearing our text in Spanish this morning. Um, and so we want to ask if you, as you're able, would be willing to stand with us as we pray the Lord's Prayer today. And first, uh, Jose will be praying for us in Spanish, the Lord's Prayer, and then we will all join in and pray the Lord's Prayer together in English. And if you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen for us. So, oremos, let's pray. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga a nosotros tu reino, hágase tu voluntad, así como en el cielo, también en la tierra. El pan nuestro de cada día, dánoslo hoy, y perdona nuestros pecados, como nosotros también perdonamos a los que nos ofenden. Y no nos dejes caer en tentación, mas líbranos de todo mal, porque tuyo es el reino el poder y la gloria. Amén. Now in English, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to grab our podium here. Pardon us. Uh, we're going to bring this over this morning. Um, Nothing like seeing the behind the scenes. I was a techie in my other life, stage manager. Here we go. Um, well, I hope 
as I said, I hope that this Advent season has been as rich for you all as it has been for us. I know Hosea and I this week were talking about what a gift it's been to both um, be reminded um, and remember that Christmas and the Advent season is a time of reflecting, yes, on the coming, the first coming of Jesus as a gift for the world, but ultimately in the return of Christ as a gift and for the flourishing of all of creation. And um, in Advent, it's this preparatory season, and we're so blessed to be invited into that posture of being reflective and thoughtful even as we were this morning, and asking ourselves, you know, what are the fresh invitations as we're attentive to Jesus in a new way in this season? What are the ways that we're being invited in a fresh way by Jesus? And so we had the chance to talk a little this week about those invitations, and Jose, I just would love to have you share with the congregation, what are some of the invitations from Jesus that you've been receiving afresh this Advent? Thank you, Kathy. One of the invitations I feel that God is calling upon myself is to intentionally dedicate more time to know more about God, of God in my life, and the way, obviously, that I feel that I'm being called to do it, just to spend more time in, in the Word of God, to pray, to set a time, more time in the busy time of this year to pray and worshiping God. The other way, that I feel that God is calling me to act is more loving God. And the way that I can love more God is by loving more people. And I particularly can think about uh, people that are not easy for me to love and uh, people that we tend to put in different categories. And if, if, if God would do that with us, mm -hmm. we would be uh, if it weren't for his mercy, because we all have different things that bring to God, so we are not in a position to categorize people and not to extend the same love that God has extended to us. That's what I feel yeah. that God is calling me to for, flourish more in those two areas. And in summary, just inviting God to be more at the center of my life, in the home, at work, and just to be the main purpose and just to be the vision for the years to come until his return. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I I actually had the privilege of working with your incredible wife a few weeks ago, Karim, in the auditorium as we were discussing some of these things. And sim similarly, we talked about how to be more devoted and attentive, even just in everyday life, to those invitations of Jesus. Um, and I, I felt like, yeah, for me, that was a question I was asking. I was like, am I bringing... Am I even bringing my full gift and my full self, my full love, um, as imparted to me by Jesus to others? And I remember something Karen was talking about, you know, one of the gifts that she brings, even as part of her own cultural heritage and from her El Salvadorian roots, is this um, bringing of the whole self, right? This expressivity and warmth and joy and worship. And, and I remember thinking, oh, do I bring, you know, full body, heart, mind into all I'm doing with Jesus? And... As a funny side note, at the end of that, we were in a final worship song, and my nine-year-old Phoebe kind of pulled me on the arm, and she goes, Mom, I would, like, raise my hands in worship, but kids are afraid that someone will call on them. And I was like, oh, that is fascinating. I was like, that was funny. Um, so now we know why the kids might be afraid to raise their hands in worship. They're going to get called on. Um, I was like, okay, good to know, Phoebe. Um, but I, I was so convicted by that. And similarly, yeah, I just appreciate that. What does it mean to love and not just love selectively, but with that generous and humble love 
of Jesus. And in our Matthew text, we've seen such beautiful pictures of that, and we're going to continue in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And we've really, we've been through several weeks now, right? So if you remember, we were first hearing this exhortation to be a people who are ready to receive Jesus when he returns. So the end of Matthew, Jesus was talking with his disciples and saying, you won't know when it's going to happen. So be ready, right? There's, even in the midst of ordinary everyday life, what does it mean to be in a posture internally of readiness? And then we heard the call of John the Baptist, right, as he invited the people to turn from sin, to be open, to repent and prepare their hearts for the king to come. And even later in John the Baptist's ministry, as he was imprisoned in a place of dire, deep distress and cried out and said, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one that's coming or is there someone else? And Jesus really honors John, right, even in those questions and grappling and, and, and in the pain. And as he honors him and says, surely they'll look, the signs of the kingdom, you can see them. As he honors John, he says, there is no one greater, really, of born of woman, but even the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than these. And invites us to that posture that in God's kingdom, that we are invited actually to take that place and posture of humility. And today, we're going to be in our last Matthew text, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph and in Matthew 1. And so as we go to that text, and we're invited to consider how he's available to the Lord, if you'd like to follow along with us, we're going to be in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel, and we're going to be um, reading verses 18 to 25, and you'll hear a couple verses at a time in Spanish and then in English as we go through our text. So this is the word of the Lord from the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel, starting at verse 18. El nacimiento de Jesucristo. El nacimiento de Jesús, el Cristo, fue así. Su madre María estaba comprometida para casarse con José, pero antes de unirse a él, resultó que estaba encinta por obra del Espíritu Santo. Como José, su esposo, era un hombre justo y no quería exponer la vergüenza pública, resolvió divorciarse de ella en secreto. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Pero cuando él estaba considerando hacerlo, se le apareció en sueños un ángel del Señor y le dijo, José, hijo de David, no temas recibir a María por esposa, porque ella ha conocido por obra, ha concebido por obra del Espíritu Santo. Dará a luz un hijo y le pondrás por nombre Jesús, porque él salvará a su pueblo de sus pecados. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Todo esto sucedió para que se cumpliese lo que el Señor había dicho por medio del profeta. La Virgen concebirá y dará a luz un hijo, 
y lo llamarán Emmanuel, que significa Dios con nosotros. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Cuando José despertó, hizo lo que el ángel del Señor le había mandado, y recibió a María por esposa, pero no tuvo relaciones conyugales con ella hasta que dio a luz un hijo, a quien le puso por nombre Jesús. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jose. So I want us to look at our text a little closer together this morning. And I love that we've been focusing on these Matthew texts. You'll probably notice a lot of our scriptures this time of year do tend to be drawn from either Luke's gospel or this account from Matthew. And it's important to kind of notice and think about what are the, the bigger themes of Matthew's writing and this gospel's audience and key, um, key meta frameworks. And so there's two things that I want us to think about when we think about Matthew's gospel. The first is that as Matthew is writing to a primarily um, Jewish believer audience, he is making the case that Jesus is the king. To the people of Israel, he's saying, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, who is king and who will rule and reign over God's people again. And we see that theme in some small ways, even in the opening stories, right? Matthew includes the account of this tension between King Herod, who feels threatened by the baby Jesus, right? Or these kings from the east who come to bend the knee and worship this newborn king. We see it all the way at the end in the, um, in the grisly and painful account of the crucifixion where Jesus is mocked as the king of the Jews, And so Matthew wants the reader to hear and to know without a doubt that Jesus is the king. And the second theme of Matthew's gospel that we'll see that holds together is that God is the one who in Jesus comes near, right? He is God with us. And this has been the profound and deep longing of the people of God since the beginning of time. Right, since, as that special music piece the worship team brought said, since Eden, when that distance, that chasm became between God and humanity. They've been longing for that return, right? They've been longing for the closeness of God who at different points tabernacled in the tent of meeting and then in the temple, but they've been waiting and all of a sudden Matthew says, it is happening. God has come near. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And when you look at the end of Matthew's gospel, in what we often call the Great Commission, it is in the very final words of this text, when Jesus sends his disciples to make disciples of all nations and then says, and surely I am with you, even to the very end of the ages, God with us. That is Matthew's passion in the writing of this gospel. And that's important to know because how he opens the text in chapter one is with a genealogy. And now that might not make a lot of sense or feel like 
particularly compelling reading for us, although I think we could preach whole sermon series on these genealogies. But what he's doing is he's establishing this line of kingship to fulfill the prophets all the way back. He's in the Davidic line through the house of Joseph. And so that is important to establish in the kingship line. But this question starts to beg itself, will Jesus be received? Will Joseph be available to receive the king and therefore fulfill this line back to David? And so if you look at the text again with me, I want to kind of talk us through it a little bit and and what we see in the story. And I want you to think especially about Joseph's experience. Now, when I think about the genealogy story and this moment where Joseph um, comes into the picture, um, for me, I think a lot about my own story and about ancestry and adoption stories that have been played in my life. I'm, I'm kind of curious, are any of you into like family history, genealogy, some ancestry buffs out there? There's a few so historians, I see you. Um, I am very intrigued, but personally don't have a lot of working knowledge about some of my family um, history. And some of that is that I come from multiple generations of adoption stories. So my mother was adopted in the early 50s. Uh, Her parents, um, my grandfather had a war injury and was unable to have children himself. And so my mother and her sister were adopted in a closed adoption in Kansas. And my mom really never knew anything about her family story and her origins. Um, and then my mother actually became pregnant in high school and was sent away to quietly have a baby herself that she gave up for adoption. And she carried grief about never really knowing her daughter. Um, and I think those things informed some of her passion as Um, An adult, she fosters and adopted, and I have four adopted siblings. I'm the third of eight. And so this, this was always part of the fabric of my family story. And when I look at, at this moment and this opening to Matthew's gospel, um, all of a sudden it was just so compelling to me because isn't it amazing that in the meta story, right, we know that God chooses and adopts us as his children into the family of God. And in the coming of God to earth in Jesus, this same scenario is set up where Jesus, there's an opportunity for Jesus to be chosen and adopted by Joseph, who is not his biological father. But I want us to think about what that would have been like for Joseph. And to me, I'm so glad we even have this account because we really don't know all that much about this man. Um, Luke's gospel primarily traces the story of Mary, who is likely an eyewitness account for his gospel. Um, And we think Matthew maybe was informed by conversations with James, the brother of Jesus, hearing about their father and this family life. But we do know some things in this text as we get into it. So look with me, if you will, at verse 18. So it opens and it simply just says, this is how the birth story happened. This is the origin story of Jesus. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, didn't want to expose her to disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
So we know they're pledged to be married. And remember, in terms of cultural context, a betrothal was a much more binding agreement than we might think of an engagement today. So it had probably been arranged by parents and consented to. A dowry might have been given, witnesses. Um, this was the beginning of, of a year-long period before it would be consummated and it would be complete. But it was still significantly binding. And so they had not yet come together, meaning they'd not been physically or sexually intimate, and she's pregnant. Now Matthew immediately kind of squelches the question and says, through the Holy Spirit. But think about the scandal of that moment. Think about, for Joseph, the questions, or the community, the family, the wonderings, what is happening, whether this was by consent or not, what has happened. So he's in this profound moment of tension. And we learn next about him a few things. We learn that he is faithful to the law. He's a righteous man, some translations say. So he wants to do the right thing. And he clearly has compassion and care for Mary. Because it says he, he doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Which by his rights, he could have. He could have convened a gathering in front of a judge and witnesses. And this could have been a very public and shameful experience. And probably exposing Mary to lifelong, potentially, poverty and ostracization in the community. And he doesn't want to do that. So he makes a plan. He makes what he feels is the best plan he can, and he's going to have this ended quietly. God has a better plan. The question is, is Joseph going to be available to it? So what happens? Look at 20. It says, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, right, reminding him of that line, that heritage, and the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. You might notice, almost any time an angel's on the scene, the first thing they say is don't be afraid because they must be terrifying, right? Um, but it's interesting because in this case, the angel says, don't be afraid, and specifically to take Mary home. There's some fear. There's some disappointment in Joseph that he's speaking into specifically and says, what's conceived in her is the spirit. What looks like scandal is actually the spirit. I love one commentator was writing about this and was like, can you imagine? Like, look how scandalous Jesus is as an embryo. What is going to happen when this guy grows up? Right? Like, what kind of stuff is going to be stirred in the life of Jesus? Scandal will follow Jesus all through his life and ministry. And the question is, can we discern what is actually the work of the Spirit? And for Joseph, that happens as he sleeps. I think that's amazing to me, first of all. Um, I think about how I'm not particularly open to um, my plans being changed, when I've got a good one especially that I think is right. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was reflecting, even in my life right now, these days, it's very calendared. I'm so dependent. Like, I calendar when I get up, um, when I have my quiet time, um, when I eat my meals. 
I know teachers who schedule when they can go to the restroom. Um, we schedule I, when I call my relatives, when I go on dates with my husband. Like, my life is managed by my calendar. And sometimes I'm like, eh, if you're not on my calendar, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. Or will I remember it? And I think, ironically, sometimes the only way the Lord might be able to get my attention is when I'm unconscious. Because once every, like, 12 or 20 hours, we have to go to sleep, Right? And I love the Lord uses these pauses that happen naturally in our rhythms sometimes to bring that holy interruption, just like he did to Joseph. I work in campus ministry with InterVarsity, and we work with a lot of international students, and I've seen time and time again how the Lord has actually come, particularly to our students who are Muslim or Hindu background, and he's come in dreams to them and stirred a curiosity that has led for them to seek after this Jesus. And we see it here in Joseph, right? It's in this place of maybe unintentional availability that he pauses and hears from the angel of the Lord. And I think, let's just appreciate the complexity and that tension for Joseph, right? Let's not church that up. This is a really hard situation. And it is difficult to know what is the right thing to do, what is the honoring and compassionate choice to make. I thought even there's so much in this text about how he's trying to honor God and the relationship with Mary and the community. He's trying to steward his sexuality as a young man in this moment. And I couldn't help but be thinking, because I know where we're going as a community after the new year is into a series on flourishing in relationships. And in light of being in a relationship of love with God, how do we interact with one another? How do we steward our sexuality? All of those pieces. And so I was just seeing this and I was like, wow, there's so much, even in this little vignette. And I I want to challenge us. We, We need the Spirit's help to discern what it means to be in right relationship, just like Joseph in this moment. What does it mean to walk and step with the Spirit and be wise in righteousness and love and compassion? So that's my side challenge, engage as we keep moving into a new year in that series. But as we look at Joseph in particular, the question is how do we pause and be ready or available for that holy interruption of the Spirit? Are you open to the Spirit's leading? Are you open to have your plans changed, to be interrupted? I heard a story from some students. Um, Locally, our our team of staff works with students at William Penn and Grinnell and Central. And on one of those campuses, um, shortly after Thanksgiving, there was an incident that caused many students to feel very vulnerable and exposed and unsafe, unsettled on campus. And our leaders were grieved by this and wanted to do something, wanted to know what would care look like, what would the love of Jesus look like to our campus in that moment. But they didn't know what to do. And so I love the students decided to gather, the leaders gathered, and they decided we're gonna just listen. We're gonna pray and we're gonna listen. And in that prayer time, they felt like the Lord prompted them to two things, to first of all, some kind of concrete expression of care, um, and then to create space 
for people to experience the presence and healing and safety and refuge of God. And so I love it. These student leaders sent out care packages to the students most affected by the incident, and they made a prayer room in a space where people could come and receive prayer ministry or even just getting ready for this busy final season. Um, And it was that simple act of them saying, we care, but we don't know what to do, Spirit. What do we do? And that created a way forward. But they also had to say yes to it, right? So I'm so proud of those students for their yes to respond in obedience to what they heard and felt maybe a little risky. And that ultimately is what we see happen next in the story, right? Because in verse 22, it says, you know, all this happened to fulfill what the Lord had said, right? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. And Matthew's quoting Isaiah, Um, 7.14 here, right? Emmanuel is God with us. And Joseph must have known, right? He had a part here to receive Jesus in this line of kingship. And it says in 24, when he woke up, he did what the angel commanded him. And I think in the expression, yes, he literally wakes up from sleep. He physically wakes up. But he also woke up to the invitation of the Spirit, right? And he said yes. It says he did what was commanded. He took Mary home. The child was born, and he named this child Jesus. And Jesus is the kind of Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. We don't know a lot about Joseph. We know some hints about how he walked with Jesus and continued to embrace him a son and family through the early years. And it's likely that Joseph had died before Jesus began his public and adult ministry because there's no mention of him. But he played this incredibly pivotal role right from the beginning. And ultimately, it's because he was available to the Spirit and said yes. And so that's our challenge this morning as we go into perhaps one of the fullest weeks of a year leading up to Christmas, is even in the midst of that, will you be available to a holy interruption this week? And I want to propose a few practical ways that we could pause. Maybe it is actually in sleep. Please sleep this week. Who knows? Come tell me if you have dreams. I want to hear about them. Um, But even in other ways, let me say this, we can pause and we can pray. As, as Mike said, that la- our Light of the World prayer initiative is still going through 6 o'clock today. Come out to the prayer tower and pray. They have these beautiful guides to take you through. You can pause and be open and available to Jesus there. My second challenge is you could pause and worship. Right? This is a pause for us that you come. And next weekend there will be worship opportunities on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And maybe there's a neighbor someone easy to love or hard to love, someone near or far, but that maybe there's someone the Spirit would prompt you to bring to worship with you and pause. And lastly, let me propose you can pause when you're feasting. We're going to sit and enjoy some great meals and time this week, and even here we'll have the Christmas Day meal. I encourage you, come and pause by serving. I hear we might need a few more desserts. Um, Or come and feast with the community and wait for an encounter with our God. So those are some ways I want to invite us to be attentive and available this week. 
Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and I want to pray for us um, that we could have that same both availability and obedience that we see Joseph demonstrating in this story. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this story captured in Matthew's gospel that reminds us that even in complex circumstances, even when things might look like scandal, that your spirit is moving. Thank you that you long for us to be available to you and you break in with holy interruptions. And I pray for each and every one of us in this room that this week you would invite us to pause, to be attentive, that in humility we would lay our plans and schedules before you and say, break in, Spirit. God, would you take our limited wisdom and give us yours? We exchange our best plans and ideas and hopes and expectations for the week and say, we lay them at your feet. Teach us your ways that we might walk in them, in the humility and obedience that you demonstrated, Lord Jesus, as you came to dwell among us. In your name we pray. Amen.